At the market summit in February, I indicated that I thought it was time for a new investing playbook. The premise was that we were in a paradigm shift for inflation. After enjoying a decade of low inflation in the United States, through 2019, the U.S. had core CPI of 1.7% for 10 years. In fact, through that 10-year period, there were only 12 individual months where CPI was over 2%. In fact, many of us were debating whether the Fed could ever get inflation to be at its target. Well, the paradigm shift is that I believe after the current year, after 2022, when we will definitely experience very elevated inflation, we've already seen it, I think over the next three to five years, we will continue to have inflation of three to three and a half percent. It's not alarming, but it's effectively a doubling of the inflation rate we had in the 2010 to 2019 period. Now, this has major investment implications. Now, when I think about what's changed since February, since the market summit, what's different? Well, if anything, I'm worried that perhaps I'm too optimistic on inflation. Maybe inflation could be a bit higher than three to three and a half percent. What makes me worry about that? Well, first of all, those inflation pressures I talked about in February have continued to broaden out. And what we're really focused on now is not just wages. As you might recall, the linchpin in February I said was wages. In the United States, 50 to 55 percent of the cost of goods sold is labor. So wages are critical to inflation. But what I'm also watching right now is rent. And what we're seeing across the United States and frankly across the developed world is home purchase prices have gone up significantly through the pandemic. Now, historically in the United States, there was very little correlation between home purchase price and rental rates for apartments and homes. But what we're seeing right now is post the pandemic is rent across the US is rising in the mid teens. In fact, Zillow has an observed rent index that shows an average increase in prices across the cities in the US of 15% in March and April of 2022 with the population weighted index being up over 16% for rent. Now, historically, when rent would go up 15%, if there was any instance where it did that, people would either look for a smaller apartment, a less expensive apartment, or if they were fortunate enough to have saved the money for a down payment, they would buy a new home. The challenge is this time, new home prices are up 35% since January of 2020. Mortgage rates for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage are up 180 basis points, 180 basis points, since January of 2020. Now, simple rule of thumb, 100 basis point increase in mortgage rates is a 13.5% increase in the monthly payment to service that mortgage for the same dollars borrowed. You take 180 basis points, combine that with home prices that are up 35%, the cost of buying a home in terms of the monthly mortgage payment is up over 60% from January of 2020 to March of 2022. So effectively, if you're a renter and your rent goes up 15 to 20%, you don't have a lot of choices. Now, the reason I care so much about rent alongside wages is rent of shelter, which includes people who do rent an apartment or house. And it also includes a survey of people who've owned their home, who've been asked what they would pay to rent that home, is 41% of the core CPI index. So again, 41% of the consumer price index, X food and energy, is rent of shelter. 32% of the overall consumer price index is rent of shelter. If we do indeed see rental increases of 10 or 15% sustained beyond the next, say, 6 to 12 months, I worry that the typical consumer will then have to go in and ask their manager or their boss for a substantial wage increase. Now, keep in mind, it's not just rent. They're already paying 30% higher prices for gasoline. They're already paying double-digit higher prices for food. So this is yet another price that's going up for the consumer, 
And if labor has ever had leverage, it is now. When I look at the U.S. labor market, back in February, there were 1.75 unfilled jobs for every unemployed person. As of April, there are 1.95 unfilled jobs for every unemployed person. So we now have 11.5 million open jobs with 5.9 million unemployed people. Workers have leverage. And again, if labor is 50 to 55% of the cost of goods sold, if rent of shelter is 41% of the core CPI index, I see here a combination that could be quite risky as the Fed tries to manage inflation. So what's the biggest change other than seeing rent prices go up? Well, asset prices are the big change. In February, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was 2%. As of the middle of May, it's 3%. Australian 10-year yields, 3.5%. So we've seen a major repricing in bond markets. And I do think we might be 70 to 80% of the way there. But we're not fully there in terms of pricing in this inflation risk. Now, importantly, equity markets have also sold off. As I look across a range of equity indices, speculative growth stocks have sold off the hardest, which makes a lot of sense. Why? Well, what makes a speculative growth stock? It's a company that doesn't necessarily, necessarily make money now, might not make money for the next one, three, five, seven years. And the longer it takes for that company to make money, the more of the value of the stock is in the terminal value. And the terminal value is most exposed to discount rates. So as interest rates go up and inflation is higher, discount rates go up, the value of that stock goes down. And we've seen some pretty sharp declines in those speculative growth stocks. I don't think we're finished yet with that sell-off. What's the other end of the spectrum in the, in the equity market? Well, deep value cyclical stocks tend to be the shortest duration cash flows in the equity market. Think of speculative growth as the longest duration, deep value cyclical shortest duration. The challenge with that part of the market is I do believe there's a 30 to 40% chance of a recession in the United States in the next one to two years. Now, if that's the risk, those stocks are most susceptible, i.e. the cyclicals are most susceptible to recession. So when I look at the market right now, where do I see the opportunity? Well, the exciting part of the market is in quality. Whether it's quality value or quality growth, the way I define quality is companies with high returns on capital that can be sustained. What's the difference between quality value, quality growth? It's how much of that capital generation can be redeployed into growth. Quality growth companies can redeploy all of it. They can grow their company rapidly because they have a large addressable market that they've only tapped part of. Quality value might be a company, for example, in the consumer staple space or in healthcare with high returns on capital, but where they can't put it all back to work. So they give you some of that money back in dividends and buybacks. Well, if you think about it, if you're getting the money back earlier in dividends and buybacks, that's a bit shorter duration cash flow than a quality growth company that's giving you the money back on average over time through growth. So I look at the market, I see opportunities in the quality segment. I see opportunities, by the way, in fixed income in a couple areas like emerging market debt, as I said in February, where you got hard currency yields over 7%. And I also see opportunities perhaps in convertible bonds, which cross the lines between equities and fixed income and have been beaten down by the sell-off in speculative growth and the rise in interest rates. Now I look forward to speaking with you again in a few months time Opportunities do arise from volatility. This is definitely a chance to put money to work in the market. I wouldn't necessarily pull the trigger today to put the money to work, but I'm definitely thinking more along the lines of what I want to buy rather than what I want to sell at this point in the market.